This episode is sponsored by Audible, the best place to find audiobooks online. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable to learn more. The Incomparable, number 147, June 2013. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and we are back with another edition of our book club with what I have to say are are perhaps the core members of the book club, although we have many who come and go, and Serenity Caldwell's in a lot of them. There's a voice in this episode that we haven't had with us for some time because he's been a very busy fellow, but he read the assigned reading, and so we allowed him back on the podcast. And Hi, Jason. Oh. Is, is not Dan Moore. Dan, did you do the assigned reading? Uh, like most of it. All right, I'll, I'll allow you back on the podcast because you haven't been on in at least twenty four hours. Um, uh, Scott McNulty also quite often he's on every book club because he's read every book. Hi, Scott. Hello. I wasn't on every book club. I did not appear in uh, the Harry Potter episode. Ooh. I'm not sure if that even counts as a book club. That was oh. more of a phenomenon club, as it were. <laughs> and I despise it. And uh, of course, I was speaking earlier of Glenn Fleischman, who is a, a, a friend of the podcast and is frequently on, but hasn't been on for a little while. Hi, Glenn. Welcome back. Hello. Oh, wait, that's not me. Hi. Hi there. Ahoy, ahoy. That's, uh, that's as me. Mr. McNulty's lawyer. I have to ask you to cease and desist on any. Hello. That's that's it. Uh, this podcast is over. All right. So we're going to do a uh, we have two topics on the podcast uh, this time. Uh, first, we're going to do a book club about John Scalzi's recently published novel, The Human Division, which is interesting in that it was uh, published first as a weekly series of ebook installments and then later wrapped up into uh, a regular old-fashioned book that was published not too long ago. And then we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about the Hugo nominees for um, for short stories. So for not, not, the, uh, not the novels. We're going to do that on a later show, and we've been dutifully plowing through those nominees uh and and we'll get that in a few weeks but um we're going to talk about the short stories uh tonight instead so uh, a little little uh little two-part a, a, a two-act play if you will of the book club uh so we should get started with john scalzi uh we've we've covered him before we talked about we've talked about his books numerous times we talked about his novel red shirts last year and he's back with this uh, interesting experiment of a, a serialized novel, um, The Human Division, uh, set in the same world as his most, I would say, the, the thing that made him uh, well-known, the Old Man's War universe. So he wrote, he wrote th- four novels in that universe, and, uh, and he's back with uh, these tales of, uh, of humans in a, in a big, wide world or galaxy full of different aliens, many of whom are, are quite threatening to the humans. Uh, so my first question for you guys is, how did you read this? Did you read it in an installment basis um, every week? Did you uh, save them up and read them in a couple of bursts, or did you wait for the for it to be a novel and read it as a whole? I, I kind of went, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the middle. I, I would read a couple of them, uh, like when they came out. I think I read the first, since I, I pre-ordered it, so you got a initial installment, which was released later for everybody else who bought the whole thing, the After the Coup which is sort of like a prologue. Uh, and so I read that. And then like months later, when the human division started to come out, I would read like one or then maybe one or two. And then I would probably forget for a couple weeks. And then sometimes I read two or three at a stretch, depending on, I mean, they're not very long, right? So you could get away with that. Right. After the coup was, was kind of like the prequel. It was just a short story 
set in this world uh, of Old Man's War. Right. It's a little bit longer than the than the average. But episode. it turns out it it turns out that those are characters that he picks up and uses to, in in most of the Human Division. Right. And and at least one uh, Harry is is from earlier novels in this series. Right. He's he's really a supporting character in them. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of was somewhere in the middle there, uh, which means that every couple weeks when I would pick up the next installment, I would think, what happened in the last installment? <laughs> they need a previously on the human division. Right. Scott, what about you? Uh, I was interested in reading it as it came out, but I found it annoying. It didn't happen. I found it annoying that I had to buy them separately. So I didn't do that, and I waited until they were all together so I could read it in one fail swoop i know i wanted to subscribe to it and amazon seemed to just be incapable of that as a concept well no so amazon has something called kindle serials which is exactly this idea that you subscribe to this uh like book and you get chapters automatically delivered the only problem with that of course is that amazon then says if you're going to participate in the serials you can't sell it anywhere else yeah and i think uh, i think they also can't why. they can't set the price anything other than like 199 or some ridiculously low price too so they they were never going to do that, and so instead you had to order pre-order every or order when it came out every one of the thirteen chapters, which I did, but I thought was really stupid. It'd be great if we were living in an age when computers manage these things for it's us. It's strange, Glenn. So how did you read this? Well, I got confused because. Um... <laughs> oh, Glenn! It's so good to have you back. <laughs> You can st- you can stop there, Glenn. It's cool. We get. <laughs> I've it. been away so long. This this world of yours is so confusing after visiting other plants. Uh, the uh, I read two of the Old Man's War uh, four books in that universe. The first two, and uh, this came up for the book club. So I'm like, oh, Human Division, and it was already completely out because I've had this kind of amnesia that goes with working ridiculously hard for months at a time. I completely missed the fact this was published as uh, as a serial. So I read it as a straightforward thing and thought, gosh, this book sure is episodic, but I kind of like it. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is great. Like he's simulating the notion of releasing stories one at a time that are self-contained and have a kind of, you know, serial um, old movie narrative with ridiculous daring do. And I kind of I read it differently. Like this was an experiment as a book. And then I get to the end. I'm like. Oh, but, you know, it didn't actually spoil my enjoyment of the stories, reading them all at once and not actually understanding they were intended to be released that way. I thought it was a really great exploration of the form, even without knowing it was released in pieces over four months. That's, that's very interesting to me because I, I read his blog and follow him on Twitter. And it was like it was, not, it was like Human Division, like 24-7 for like, for like three months. <laughs> it's uh, interesting because I think to Glenn's point, you know, you can read Dickens and you don't need to know that Dickens was writing those things in a, in a serialized way in a newspaper, but it, it does, it does say something about the form. I, um, I'm fascinated by this experiment. I think it's a, I think it's a great thing that he tried this. Um, I, I mean, the, the, this is similar to the people talking about, there's this debate about, uh, whether you binge watch, uh, TV episodes right. or whether you watch them one at a time and, and whether a show is actually better stretched out over long periods of time or whether it's better in, these short bursts, and I, I, I don't think there's one right answer. Uh, and in the case of... It depends on the story. Yeah, well, and I, well, I was thinking, I was talking to somebody who was watching Lost, 
And I said, um, it's one of my favorite shows. I think it's great. I think you might actually like it better because one of the big frustrations when people were watching it, yeah, people complain about like they didn't answer my questions and all that. But I think a lot of that was caught up in this, you know, the, the show would be on and then it would be gone for months and then it would be on again for a little bit and then it's gone for another, you know, eight months. And and if you can just keep on going, it's a little less frustrating. At the same time, it can kind of be exhausting. So this was this was interesting in in that he tried to pace it out, and although he sold it up front, because I I read him his blog and, and I read him on Twitter too, he sold it as like a TV series, and I think that's false. I think I don't think you can call this a TV series because a TV series doesn't just go away from all the main characters for an entire episode, and he did that in this. I mean, it's fine, but well, yeah, they're they're kind of like yeah, they're kind of like those like one-off episodes. I mean, it's hard because if you look at something like Game of Thrones or The Wire, um, there are episodes in which major characters do not appear. But you always do have some sort of anchor, right? Some of your characters are there, yes. Right, and these we really do just walk away from the main characters or they're mentioned or something like that, which is a little strange from the perspective of a TV series. But, I mean, there are anthology series too, right? Like, you know, you think of something like... I mean, I guess those tend to be even more decentralized if you think about something like a Twilight Zone or yeah. There's no there's no through line in an anthology series. I just I thought it was a little bit of a of a mis uh, misstatement about what he was actually doing here. But what's funny is you know people would talk about this as it was coming out, and I did read it as it was coming week by week, and uh, people would get frustrated when the installment of that week didn't directly pick up on what had happened before. Uh, I actually found it kind of fun. I, like I said, I thought it was sort of – he shouldn't have said it was like a TV series where literally every episode was going to be our little friends on the spaceship get into trouble, which is certainly what he was setting up in the first couple of chapters. But I liked uh, a lot of the diversions, and I liked seeing how it obviously fed into the main story. And um, I, I kind of liked the episodic nature of it. It, it uh, you know, it was it was fun to have that experience and to have those cliffhangers where I really did experience this novel over uh, twelve or thirteen weeks instead of in you know a week or so of reading it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I love serialized stuff. I mean, and Jason, of course, you read you read a lot of comic books, which have a similar sort of oh, breakdown, yeah. right? Um, so I, I think I. The thing I like about something like a serialized story when it comes to television or comic books is that there's often a sense, and this is true too in like longer book series, um, there's a sense of rewarding the reader, um, you know, over a long period of time. So, you know, you watch a TV show and there's like something mentioned in the episode one and it comes back, you know, in like episode 12 and you feel like a little bit of like, oh, yeah, I noticed that. Like, oh, good. They got back to that, right? Like, and then that was the thing that frustrated so many people about loss is they feel like hints were dropped and then were never picked up again. Um, so I, I like that there's – in some ways, even though this was released episodically, there – I don't know. I didn't feel like there was a, maybe enough of that, although it's hard to tell because, you know, I think maybe if I went back and read it all now straight through – I would pick up on things that had been, you know, foreshadowed earlier. And there's definitely some stuff that, like, alludes to things. You know, there's clearly foreshadowing. He knows what he's doing. Um, but it, it's it's such a different scope because it's almost more like a miniseries, right? You know, Glenn said that he picked up on the episodic nature of it. I was going to ask that question of if you read this as a novel, not realizing how it had originally been published, would you would you notice? Well, let me speak to that hypothetically from a practical standpoint. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I think it held together for me. I mean, I got somewhere through it. I, I honestly didn't look it up and wonder. I thought Scalzi likes to play with 
the form of the novel. And I actually thought at some point this was going to be a little red shirty because the stuff that happens at points is so ludicrous. And it's always, you know, it's always Harry is uh, the la- the last second. The timer counts down. And then the ship blows a hatch. He grabs the hatch and he manages to ride it into the, you know, that kind of thing. It's like the the improbableness of the MacGyver-ish whatever all comes together in every episode. So I thought at some level maybe he was going to show that there was a manipulation going on that was causing this kind of ridiculousness to happen. And then I realized, no, these aren't the meta books. This is just the way it's set up. This stuff keeps happening to these guys, and they have to roll with the punches of sometimes really ridiculous plot elements. But because it skulls, you get deeper than just the, you know, oh, no, here's a, uh, a mechanism you have to defeat, and that's it. It's like, no, there's this big conspiracy. There's an arch. There's these well uh, drawn characters in some cases. I mean, some of them are very thin, but also some very well drawn ones. And I felt there was enough of a through line for me. I felt it was more like episodes of Star Trek, if anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was thinking as we were talking, you talked, we were talking earlier. There was the um, the episode uh, conspiracy. How to go look this up? The twenty fifth episode of season uh, I don't know whatever. And uh, <laughs> looked it up here, uh, where you know it turns out that there's a conspiracy in the oh, Federation. Yeah. It's aliens that have inhabited. You know. Yep. Right. And then it's never followed up on ever again. Of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. And uh, I felt there was a little element of that that there was sort of almost too much mystery. Like there were too many things going on. There were too many sinister forces. But then I thought this is kind of the nature of something that felt episodic and turned out was designed that way is that you want to have these things that are bigger than the story because if they're within the story, then you're done. Then you have to invent the next thing for the next story. Instead, having a far-ranging, inexplicable, mysterious, and even improbable conspiracy is a great backdrop on to which to set all of these different plot elements in motion. Yeah, the only difference between this and an episode of Star Trek is, like I said, you you wouldn't have a whole episode of Star Trek that just involved the people, all of whom are basically going to die down on a planet somewhere, or the uh, the radio talk show host basically on Earth. Those are those are cutaways, but they're here they they were entire installments. So in a novel, I would just be like, all right, I can read the next chapter or not. In, in installments, you you have that where it's like, that's it. I don't I don't get to see my friends this week. Uh, it just—it was a different feeling, Scott. Uh, what, how, how did you feel it held together as a novel versus uh, a series of episodes? Uh, well, I, I think that certainly uh, each episode, each chapter was named an episode, so that's a good tip-off if you are not aware of uh, the ah. serial nature of uh, the book. Uh, but I think overall it held. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome, Glenn. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think Scalzi is at his best in this universe. Um, I think he. Uh, I, agree. I saw him. Sp- I, I saw him speak once, and he talked about how he likes to write dialogue, and he thinks he's very good at it. Uh, which I agree with him. He writes very funny, snappy dialogue, and he's less good at writing descriptions of things which I always find interesting thinking about that as I'm reading his books, because he introduces all these aliens, and he hardly ever really describes what they look like, which I think is effective because the reader's imagination can just fill in the blanks of what these outrageous uh, aliens are. He gives you just enough to say, like, it's the size of a dog and looks like a mantis, and then he just walks away. I, I got to ask then, because now I'm curious. So there's a, I, and I'm going to butcher the, her name, Hafti Sorvala. I want to know how you get, to me, I picture her having, she's like the legs of like Big Bird and then, but like turning into like the Roadrunner at the top. That's just the image in my head. I picture her like Ant Beast from, uh, from, uh, from A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, sort of. Because she's kind of a monster, 
but she doesn't necessarily, you know. She's very nice, but looks like a monster. Exactly. That is the great, that last little extra story that was apparently not part of the serialization, half the Sorval eats a churro and speaks to the youth of today. It actually had me in tears. It's a, I'm like, I want a spinoff series with her because he painted her in such a rich way that almost nobody else in the whole series gets that much attention. It's, it's, you know, there, yeah, I think what you said earlier about there being some well-drawn characters and some not so well-drawn characters, I, I think you've got your main characters who are the, uh, the, the two guys was Harry Wilson and Hart and Hart, right. Hart Schmidt. And, and there, and they're your, um, and we get the episode where he goes back to where Schmidt goes back to his, uh, his, they're like your, your buddy cops. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you've got your kind of like trope characters, your, your, you know, gruff, uh, ambassador and your kind of honorable, uh, captain who doesn't want, don't break the ship kind of, and they break the ship. They totally break the ship. Like in, like in every episode they break the ship. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so it's kind of like, you know, you've got your ensemble and you've got your main characters and then you've got your ensemble and then you've got sort of a breakout character in something like 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 a Hafti Sorval who who is this you know alien that they that they deal with um and uh, Scott I think you're exactly right this is it was so refreshing for me to see Scalzi back playing in this universe um because he it is he does a good job at it and it's funny we kind of criticized him a little bit in red shirts for wondering if he was pandering a little bit too much to kind of nerd culture and and here you could also argue that he's retreating into this familiar universe that he's built but at the same time he's built it it's rich it's got a lot of depth and really that first set of books didn't have a firm ending it was more like uh, the climax of that part of the, of the it was like act 1 of this story well it's set up yeah Whereas, I mean, and the the human division is sort of a second act because it too ends on a, you know, is anything really resolved? So you know how you get toward the end of a book or like forty minutes into a TV show and you're like, there, uh, this can't be wrapped up. So so instead, it was week eleven, and I finished week eleven, and I think he's not he can't end this. He it's not how many. First, I went to their website and I was like, how many chapters are there? Thirteen, huh? It's not gonna. He's not gonna end it. And in, and indeed, um, although we get a sort of a climax and there's some excitement, the grand mystery that has been put forth very slowly over the course of this book is not even re- is not resolved at all. It's still out there. So stay tuned for season two of the Human Division, which is coming. He is going to do another book, and he I think is going to do it as a serial. But it was a little frustrating where when I realized. I signed up because it was Scalzi and because I thought it was an interesting experiment, not knowing that it was going to be book one of a new series, I guess. Well, and I mean, it's like a television show in that way, right? Like you get to the end of the first season and you're like... Well, but there's usually... That's funny. There's usually a better... There's a cliffhanger, but there's often a resolution. Like usually they have to solve one problem and introduce more. Or like there has to be some arc that's completed. I didn't feel like there was an arc that's completed. You got to this point where it's... You know, it's the uh, anti-denouement or something. It's like you're at the um, the crux of something really big happening where you get some resolution. Instead, it's like, what will happen to our heroes after they've plunged through the atmosphere to Earth? Earth station's destroyed. And it's like, all right, well, but but we don't have any resolution at all. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the question of Earth and going to Earth as being the big buildup, 
I mean, I felt I felt like that was good, but you're right. It wasn't. It didn't actually resolve a lot of the questions set it out. It'd be good this. if something came out. Like there was some clue. It was like, oh, the conspiracy actually involves Badoing, and then set it up. But that's not. That can't be the whole story. It just felt like it. Um, it sort of cut off. No, it's a it's a season ending. It, it's a season ending cliffhanger. Is what yeah, we got. Yeah, but we didn't get. I don't feel like we got enough in the whole arc because the whole like. The, the whole setup was all of these mysterious things happening, the connections that they make between them. As super observers, he gave us a little too much knowledge about the connections. He didn't withhold enough from us. So it was obvious early on there was connections between all these things. We saw ships be blown up from a position that none of the main characters could see. Right. So I, I don't know. I felt like this was two-thirds of the arc, and we should have gotten more without the resolution. Could still have had a cliffhanger, but felt like there was some sense of partial completion, and then the bigger arc would carry us on. He he does a nice job um, with uh, like Scott said he's got dialogue he has a good sense of humor mm-hmm. and um, I like how he has a good sense of how to pair um, sense of humor with uh, sci-fi action in a way that if the humor wasn't there it would seem really kind of cliched and like I've we've seen all of these these tricks before but because he's got these kind of amusing characters and they're funny and they, they they know that they're in these ridiculous situations it doesn't come across as a comedy but it becomes enjoyable and then when there is a moment of of uh, action like in the climax here where there's the space station that's going to be destroyed and they're then you know they end up having to be clever in order to go out into the vacuum and end up down on planet earth and there are cows and there are some jokes and I mean, there's lots of you know it works. I, I think that's what what it's like. His secret sauce is he he's got some he's got the jokes, and then he's got a, a real mastery of these uh, space opera kind of gambits, and he puts them together in a way that's pleasant. I, I this is the kind of I this is the kind of book that I, is like comfort food to me because this this is like um, I don't find it particularly challenging, but it's so enjoyable to go on an adventure like this with somebody who's very good at, at telling these stories. I, I always think of this in my head is classified under the ripping good yarn kind of tale. Is I think the the way I always describe it in my head. It's it's an adventure, right? It's almost it's almost pulpy, like in its you know space hero thing. But you know, I I agree that the 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 sort of levity in it does a good job of keeping it. it it thinks you know what it feels to me like it feels to me like like castle wow <laughs> like a show right like that has kind of deals with castle in space a rigging endorsement that wouldn't that be firefly isn't firefly castle in space well, i guess yeah well it deals with like there's there are like in that show people get murdered but right like but the thing that keeps us going back is that the protagonist is kind of charming and there's good like banter you know and it's and it's a more than a crime procedural it's it's very comic um or at least lighthearted you know, it's not your, you know, Dexter or something like that, right? Like, right. it's just like, it's not like bloody and gory. It's just very, you know, it's got that sort of lighthearted, you kind of know people will be all right in the end. You know, you're not too worried about that. Like, Although, they do have the whole episode where, where Hart Schmidt goes back to his family and we get to know them all. And and reading that episodically, I kept thinking, we're spending a lot of time with this guy. Are they going to kill him right away? Because that's what it felt like. And indeed, he's immediately put in grave jeopardy. And I kept waiting for him to die, and he didn't yes. die. But they put too much. He put too much information about him to kill him off. As, as my friend would say, he's in the opening credits, so you can't kill him. You can't uh, kill him. Uh, well, anything true. can happen in a book. Uh, I I like there's a like a not a geopolitical re- metaphor here, but there's a a bit in um, what are we in here episode? I have to go look it up now. In the bit where they find the brain in the box, are we? Are we doing spoiler horns? 
Or has everyone read yeah, this? Yeah, I hope everybody's read this book for Pete's sake. Yeah. Uh, episode 11, A Problem of Proportion. It starts out this very lighthearted thing. They find this, you know, this ship has been disabled. They're going to go and see what the deal is. That's, right. They've uh, outwitted you know, whoever is attacking them, and they've gotten this ship. Ha ha. Yeah, and the ship, and they find there's, and so they get together this very funny, it's actually very amusing. They get together a crew drawn from different races, and they're sort of being hilarious and so forth, and then... Uh, and then uh, you find uh, they get on the ship, and he's like, "Oh, uh, Wilson finds it's being run by a brain in a box that they have essentially taken someone, uh, Lalin's um, races. Uh, they've taken this captain, and they've taken his brain and stuck it into a, a computational unit. And he's running the ship, and they've promised him you get your body back if the mission's over. And it's sort of creepy. And at some point, one of the other races, I forget if it's Halvath or whoever, says." Um, you know, actually, you guys kind of do that. You humans do that. You sort of take uh, brains, you have brains, and you transfer uh, people's knowledge from one body to another. So this is actually sort of your technology. You're like, oh, it started out sounding really creepy. Then it sort of seemed like, wait, you know, this is something that humans can do. This is our kind of creepy. Yeah. It's one of the things that I like. That that is a, that is a really effective chapter. It's one of, the, one of the best, I think, because it has that humor, and then you go and sort of horror in it. Yeah, I also actually like the um, like the little cutaway on the planet where they they there are the rogue colony and they they realize that something has gone horribly wrong. Um, the the uh, the overall plot here, one of the things I like about it is that in in a lot of these space opera sort of stories, you end up with um, uh, you know it's humans versus aliens, right? That's that's what it is. Is the alien? It's a big bad universe out there. And in this case, the the politics is is quite different. There there's the conclave, and then there's the the what are they? The it's not the Earth Alliance. It's the um, Colonial Union. Colonial Union, right? Okay. So, but then there's Earth, and Earth is not. It's on the outs with the Colonial Union. So you have this interesting dynamic where um, the fate of humanity may not rest in the balance. The fate of the political construct of the of the Union may hang in the balance, but the humanity may be fine. And so you've got kind of humanity is not a monolithic entity and aliens are, are, are maneuvering about, you know, should we, should we hook up with these guys or these guys? And then, um, and behind it all is this question about, are these attacks coming from humans too? And what's the political motivation? And I like that it wasn't just a, you know, it's people versus aliens thing. And actually the people, you know, are, um, not necessarily all on the same side. I thought that was kind of cool. And that the aliens may be on our side. There's a wonderful bit in that story at the end about uh, Halvath buying a churro, <laughs> or buying loving churros, where uh, the little kid says to her, are you a monster? And she's like, well, I don't know. What's a monster to you? And it's like, well, I don't think I'm a monster. And it becomes that great little tr- – she's like, oh, I'm a woman. It's like, you're a woman? Well, yeah, I'm a woman, a, a, you know, rough analog in my race. I am a woman. But I'm also this other species. And I thought, ooh, that was a nice little – brain you know manipulation there as you go back and forth between those images scott what did you think of uh human division uh overall i thought it was enjoyable i mean it's a a quick light read especially if it isn't stretched over 13 13 weeks weeks, yeah Uh, reading it in one lump i read it in like you know a few hours um but it was very enjoyable uh i found the uh the dog king episode to be dog king is great entertaining (laughs) Uh, even though I knew what was going to happen, I still thought it was very entertaining. Uh, he is—he uh, has a knack for, like Jason said, the humor in and you know in the humor in in science fiction is what humor in general is difficult to do. But then you add science fiction, 
and it makes it even more difficult, I think. Although that episode uh, was, or that chapter was sort of uh, an episode of Futurama's first season. <laughs> but never mind. It always comes back to It didn't Futurama. involve a dog. It involved Fry was the dog, but still. <laughs> Sorry. Overall, I would say thumbs up. Yeah. Much better than um, Red Shirts, in my opinion. Yeah. My, my, only, my, only, my only quibble, and it's fairly minor, um, was that I thought he went back to the, uh, the smart blood well one time too many. <laughs> there was like four, three or four different episodes in which it's, it's like the deus ex machina. Like, don't worry, my blood is smart. I hate his names for things. Like I like the names he gives people, but like Brain Pal and Smart and Blood. Smart Blood. Somebody makes a joke about Brain Pal sounding stupid in one of the chapters. I think, don't they? They sort at, of at the same time. That's you know that's what they name it, right? Like yeah, I guess you're right. iPad, iPhone. <laughs> yeah, Brain Pal. Smart. I mean, phones. I think it's it's not. I agree that it's kind of awkward. and You want a cooler name, but at the same time, it seems very realistic to me. Well, you're probably right there. The smart blood, I, I think he's afraid of the smart blood becoming a total deus ex machina, so he calls it out, but it's still totally, I mean, if you don't, then it's like uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, where it's like, well, oh, they've got this magical butt, blood now, right? So you can't... What are you doing with that, Tribble? You can't win. It's it's magical blood. It's yeah. there. But, you know, he does, they do a lot of like, wait, we can use that blood again. <laughs> it, it, it's so versatile. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, it I, I, if it had been used once or, you know, it might have been, I think I would have been cool with it. But it does, seriously, I think it gets you both in the dog episode, right? Because that's how they save the dog. Right. And then in the episode with the uh, the Marines, the Special Forces guys mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. trapped and interrogated, they use it to, she sets it on fire. That was a great escape scene. You're like, she's naked, she's tied up, she has nothing, and they're about to torture her to death. What will she do? It was great. Yeah, she still gets out of it. I quite liked that episode. I thought that was well well done. It was, and it was one of the more interesting for me, more the more interesting cutaways, um, because it felt very much like a, uh, like a, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, it's the you know the episode, the self-contained bottle episode, you know, sort of thing where it's like, all right. Different set of characters. We're in this room. They're light up. Go. They're, they're tied up naked. Go. So, as a follower of this of this series too, I really enjoy. You know, the way the series works is you're, they're, they're people are on Earth and they become eighty years old or whatever, and they leave Earth forever to go become. They get a new body and then they're a, a soldier. It's a great premise. Old Man's War, really good book. The other books are good too. Even the Zoe's Tale, I really, which was the first book in this series that I read. Tells sort of the plot of the third book from a different perspective. Really good. Um, what we don't ever see in that series is um, Earth interacting with outer space. We really leave Earth and we never go back there and we never really see m- much about it. And that's what was really enjoyable about this is that the climax of the of the previous series was Earth confronting or or being confronted with the truth about what was happening in space here we actually get to see the interactions and there are lots of jokes about the cubs winning the world series which i find amusing and and uh, we get we get to see what's happening on earth and there's you know they're they're like an ambassador and there are spies and there's intrigue on earth and there's a bombing and and uh and an informant who has important information and then who of course turns up dead immediately after it's and and it's fun to have that all in there together because before it was like we were either out in the the colonies you know or there was like back on earth before but there was nothing in between isn't she like the i forget i like the you know the daughter of the senator who's on the mission who's also sexy whose brother happens to be the you know it's great it's great 
Yeah, that's fine. And then they never – the thing is they never hook up, which is sort of funny. It's like a lot of <laughs> – some, but it's great. It's a lot of misconnections. And, of course, Harry is too noble and, you know, sure. he can metabolize alcohol and so forth. Yeah, he's our little, our little characters. Our he's little, kind, of, our little he's kind of a nerd too. Yeah, yeah he is. I like that. He's us. Yeah, yeah so well, it's well, – uh, me. I'm sorry. So gen- generally positive thoughts about – about uh, human division, you're going to read the next one at some point. Yeah, I'll, read, I'll totally read the next one. I enjoy. I've, will I've you read, read it weekly, or will you read it at the end? I will probably read it weekly because I, I lack willpower. Huh. That's what he's counting on. That's what. That's how Scalzi gets you. That's right. That extra three dollars I gave him, or whatever. <laughs> Just get confusion and amnesia like me, and then you could read it all at once and not realize that. Amfusion. Amfusion. Amfusia. Yeah, that's great. I'll read the next. I'll read the next installments. I, you know, this is the thing. He is just even at his laziest, or the times we don't like him as much because of whatever devices or plots using. He's a really terrific writer. Like I like to. I mean, I think I will wind up reading everything he's written at some point. I don't think anyone's trying to wave me off anything in particular because I've liked every. I've liked everything he's written. He just yeah. He writes. He writes well, and I'll come back. You know, I'll come back to it and uh, and. Um, I'll read the next one because I want to know what happens. I mean, all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff is happening at the end, and I'm still interested. It's not like crazy stuff, oh, who cares? It's crazy stuff, and tell me what happened. More crazy stuff. Please, more crazy stuff. With Please. our little friends. Without a resolution. Say hello to our little friends. Yes. All right. Uh, we're going to move on then, and we're going to um, leave John Scalzi behind, and we're going to talk about short oh, stories. But, but before we do that, I would like to tell you 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 listeners and also you panelists you can listen to about our sponsor because we do have a sponsor and it is once again the fine people at audible they are the leading providers of downloadable audiobooks more than a hundred thousand different titles in virtually every genre including of course science fiction uh basically if you want to listen to it audible has it you can listen to audiobooks anytime anywhere on your iphone on your ipad on your computer on your kindle if it's got one of those headphone jacks you can do it um and so audible is going to offer the incomparable listeners a free audiobook i know it sounds crazy but it's true you sign up for a 30-day trial you get a free book there i I think i heard gasps from the panel it's that exciting I don't believe it. Uh, and you go you go to here's how it works you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable to take advantage of this offer sign up for the 30 day trial and you get a free book um for example the human division by john scalzi is available on audible and you could get that as an audiobook it's narrated by the same narrator who has narrated all of the old man old man's war series for audible so um if you wanted you could start with the very first book old man's war or start with the human division could i listen to it weekly you could you could <laughs> listen to one chapter and then press pause go away come back listen to another chapter that's the beauty of it uh, do you guys have any any suggestions for books that people should look up if they're gonna have a free book on audible if you're looking for a series that um, you could really just sink your teeth into, I like this uh, alternate Sherlock Holmes series by Laurie King. It's surprisingly good. Some it got it's gotten a little weaker as it's gone on, but it starts with the Beekeeper's Apprentice, which is in fact available on Audible uh, and uh, in an unabridged form. It's very very long. It's a very good story, and it it tracks the story of uh, of um, this woman Mary Russell, who is apparently kind of becomes a protege of Holmes. She's brilliant, totally brilliant and eventually they she grows up and things change between them but i think she's in like version like or a uh, number eight or nine in this series oh farther that farther than that i think yeah i think she's up to close to 10 
I think I've read all of them. They're really terrific because she really gets Holmes, and the Mary Russell character looks like twelve. A, a twelve. Oh, I'm like yeah, there's a lot of them. But it's a. It's just I think it's a great series, and if you love Sherlock Holmes, she is uh, true to it. Even with all the changes she makes, she gets. I think the character very well. It's the best telling. I mean, I think Neil Gaiman is the only other person I've read who has written Holmes in, uh, you know, outside of the canon that really gets uh, his nature. So listen to that on Audible. The Beekeeper's Apprentice by Laurie R. King. Dan, do you have uh, any uh, Audible recommendations? Uh, you know, I was just browsing through uh, when we were talking about this at the beginning of the show. I'm not a huge uh, audiobook person, but I-, I came across one of my old favorites, which is kind of a guilty pleasure. Uh, and that is the the first sort of major Star Wars book written after Ooh. the uh, original trilogy, which is Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire. And and I, I love this book. It's kind of cheesy. It reminds me of Scalzi in some way and that it's like a good sort of venture story. And it's one of the good series of Star Wars novels that was written afterwards. There aren't that many. Features a, a humanoid <laughs> of a different hue as well. Much Indeed. Much like Scalzi's books. Indeed. Uh, and what, I actually really like the villain in that series too. But I will say that what what as I was browsing through, what caught my eye is that the the uh, the audiobook is uh, narrated by Dennis Lawson, who is not only Ewan McGregor's uncle, but also plays the part of Wedge Antilles in the Star Wars movies, and he has a delightful Scottish accent, <laughs> which is like three wins in one. Yeah, so he he reads the uh, the abridged version, and then there's also an unabridged version. So you can take your pick. Is, can I sort by accent on Audible? Can I say I only want Scots, <laughs> especially a good, like, very deep Scots? I'd like that, that would be a good feature. I, I I haven't narrated any books for Audible yet, or just a Scott. <laughs> Somebody just, named Scott would do. Just, Scott, do you have a, an audiobook uh, recommendation? Well, I just finished uh, the third book in uh, the Milkweed Triptych, which Ooh. is uh, an alternate history. Basically, the idea is: what if the Nazis? Had, I don't know why I bring up Nazis all the time. What if the Nazis had psychic super soldiers? This is this is the the Ian Tregillis is begin with bitter seeds. We I think we exactly. maybe mentioned this this the first book in that series in our first episode. We may have yes, Glenn. I think cast scorn upon it. I read it. Well, it got worse and worse. I haven't read this. I haven't read the sequel. Do you like the sequel? Uh, well, this is the third, so oh. I, I read all well, of them. <laughs> do you remember the sequel? I, don't uh, I do. Okay. I do. They, they're good. So, yeah, basically the Nazis have uh, psychic super soldiers and the English have uh, warlocks that they oh uh, make, uh, you know, uh, blood prices to these demons to do things. Uh, and it gets – it's very interesting. I won't ruin. The third book is basically – is probably the best of the three mm. and it is a very uh, interesting – perspective on it so but start with the first start with bitter seeds all three on audible and uh, you'll have to buy the other two but they're worth the money or you just Thanks. stay on audible and i think you get a new book every month so you oh, well, listen you to go. that and you then... get to keep one with the subscription yeah. and you can buy others at it that's right the first one's free and then you you keep paying and then you yep. you get them all over three months this is good i i personally don't have a commute but i know people who do who are um great consumers of this because they, absolutely they have a lot of time on the road so we're, if, if listening to The Incomparable is not enough for you, then you add in these books and then you just keep on keep on jogging or walking on the treadmill or driving in your car. So once again, to support the podcast and get a free book, it's very simple. Audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable. All right, let's move on. That was our commercial announcement. It was very exciting. Yes. I'm many books, excited. many books are available on, on audiobook. It's amazing. Um 
It's like reading it's only with your ears. only with your ears. That's right. Many books died to bring you this podcast. So, so we are every year we do our Hugo episode where we read the novels. This year will be no different. There are five nominated novels as always. We will read all five. I've already read all five. As have I. Uh, Dan is going to read some and others. Three and a half. He's going to omit, and and Glenn is going to take a shot at. I have read one point three. I'm planning to read. I'm going to Hawaii. As as we tape this podcast, I'll be going to Hawaii soon, and I'm bringing the books with me. Okay, excellent. I shall come back with them read. All right, so that we're going to have that. We're going to record that in, in a few weeks. Uh, stay tuned. We will be doing that. But we thought before uh, before we do that, we would we would read the short stories. Now, some of these are available on on the uh, on the web, and some of them aren't. I'll link to the ones that I can find on the web in the show notes. Uh, but we, I thought we'd talk about them because it's so rare that we get a chance to talk about shorter fiction on the incomparable. And um, I'm a little disappointed. Last year, almost all the nominees ended up being available for free on the web, and that hasn't happened this year, which kind of bugs me. But do you, uh, it looked to me like there's is there more of an effort to get those out once the um, voting is done, or is that still a? I mean, it's per author, per imprint, or what have you. Uh, last year, I think they, I think that uh, publishers made an effort to get them freely available so people mm. could read them and talk about them and vote for them. And this year, I think, I think it seems not so much. Okay. So uh, there are three different categories. There's short story, novelette, and novella. Uh, we, there were three short stories uh, nominated. I, I think most of us read all the short stories, so we should probably start there. Um, let's see, in no particular order. Um, Immersion by Aliette de Baudard, I think her name is. Her? Him? I don't even know. This is, this, uh, this, this is her. This is the story of... Um, it's it's set on like a is it a space station and there's a technology called an immerser that basically overrides your visual appearance and your personality with uh with uh with other memories and other yeah. behaviors it's like a big universe that she's just giving us a tiny slice of i don't know if she's written more in this space and it's very interesting but cuz you're getting like 1 1000th one of a percent and she keeps implying a lot of things that you just don't know what the the full picture is. I I read these stories, uh, you know. So I read, I downloaded three. I just read them in, in random order, more or less. Um, and I found that I liked them in, in increasing order as I went along. And this one was in the middle. Ah, interesting. Ah. Firm, firmly in the middle, I would say. Um, so, yeah, like Glenn says, I, I feel like this is a part of a larger picture. I have to, I don't read a lot of short fiction. I read some. Um, what short fiction I do read, I think, tends to be less often sci-fi and more often something like a mystery. Um, so, like, because I grew up reading Sherlock Holmes stories and Agatha Christie stories and that kind of stuff. Um, and so you can kind of get away with that because it's got a very definite shape, like a mystery story in a, in a book. There's a mystery, right? There's a detective. The detective is going to solve the mystery at the end. So there, there's something pleasing and, you know, comforting about that. Whereas sci-fi stories very often don't have... You know, they they can be a little more abstract, or there's not quite such a defined formula, right? Um, and so this one, it did very much feel like a slice of a larger work to me. I mean, there is sort of a thread, but you've got this this strange dueling narrative, including one that's in the second person, which is <laughs> un, unusual, um, which took a little time to get used to, and, and it sort of comes to a head towards the end. Um, but at the same time, I felt like I. You know, I came out of it and thought about it for a little bit, and then was like, "I'm not really sure what they were going for here." This this story would have been a uh, strong candidate 
for the um, the James Tiptree Jr. Award, if that was still being offered, because it's one of these things about it's a metaphor for women's identity, although it's yeah. seen as a broader thing, too. I mean, men also use immersers, but they seem to have less trouble with them, and women get subsumed. I, I, should, I don't know. There's an implicit well, this, thing that women tend to get. This woman got subsumed. This, this wife gets completely taken over by her immerser, and the husband seems... Uh, quite sad about it, but but she's tur- like left it on too long or turned it off too long because she wanted to fit in, and she's she's not of his race, and um and she's she's a native of this station or planet or wherever they are that uh, where they are when the story takes place, and so um it, that's one of the interesting things about the two different narratives is you've got the people who are working there who are the who are the narratives of it, and then that you've got this woman who's been completely lost herself, and um, and we're we're seeing that dynamic, but we're also seeing the uh, this strange technology and trying to figure out what the immerser really means, and it's it starts out as being almost like a hint sort of thing. It struck to me as like, well, you know, like you what finger do you extend when you pick up your teacup? It's sort of like it'll tell you all of those things, but if you, all you do is ever listen to the immerser, you completely lose who you are as a person, and you're just basically a robot repeating the orders of the of the of the the immerser which seems to be what happens to the character it seemed like someone who played too much wow <laughs> or that game on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. God, I feel like that game comes up in every single in every single incomparable episode. That's because that's because that's an excellent episode with I Ashley Judd in it. So it scared yep, the true. crap out of me as a kid. Scott, what did you think? Uh, well, I I liked this short story a lot. I, I I liked the fact that it just kind of started and you were kind of lost and didn't even know what an immerser was, which seems important since it's the, the name. title yeah. of the short story is Immersion. immersion. <laughs> uh, and you kind of are, are confused for a while, and then it kind of clicks at the end. Uh, I thought it was very effective. I, she also wrote one of the uh, novellas that are, is nominated, uh, and I feel like she has a good talent for kind of creating what seems like a very well thought out world in a very compressed amount of space in uh with uh, a few words i kind of feel like there's a fully fleshed world back there i don't know a lot about it but i feel like there's depth to it that i haven't seen it's not like it's like a it's not a soap bubble i feel like it's 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 fully fleshed out even if i'm only getting this little slice yeah i agree i i i didn't love this one but i liked it um Let's, so another one is uh, there are three short story nominees: Mantis Wives by Kish Johnson. This is interesting. Kish Johnson, I recognize the name, and I looked I looked her up. This is a this is a woman author as well, um, and she wrote uh, a, a novella that was nominated last year that I liked a great deal, called The Man Who Bridged the Mist. Liked it a lot. Uh, she also was nominated. Um, for uh, the Nebula and the Hugo, I think she won the Nebula for a short story called Ponies, which I despised. So I didn't know what I was so, going to think about Mantis Wives. Was the pony one ponies about vampire unicorns? No, no, that's that other thing. It was it was the the ponies and they kill each other and it's awful and I, I mean it was sort oh, of satirical yes. but I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I remember that one. Holy. Yeah. See, it was, well, it was oh. good. I didn't like it, but it was really rich. Yeah, <clears throat> that's true. But I, but. I, I feel like this one suffers from the problem of people, authors who sometimes go into stories feeling like, I am going to say something with capital S's, Uh and 
it just there, I did not feel like there was a story here. No, this this read like um, I, this reminded me of the sort of things that got um, submitted to me when I was editing Intertext, the fiction magazine, uh, many years ago, and I would read this and think there are many clever ideas here. This reads more like a summary or a a list of bullet points of ideas. The idea here is that there are these these mantis people and they the women eat their mates like mantises do and they come up with all sorts of different ways of doing it because they're intelligent and they have this culture and i i again it it just came across to me like it's clever but it's not really a story it's just some ideas on the back of a napkin it's a little too clever for its own good two two things though it has one of the best opening sentences Eventually, the mantis women discovered that killing their husbands was not inseparable from the getting of young. I just, I read that a bunch of times, and the rest of the story didn't fulfill me the same way that first sentence did, but it was beautifully constructed. The other is, this is the kind of thing that got published a lot in the 1970s in those, like, brave new fiction things. Sure. Dangerous Knight visions. And, <clears throat> yeah, it was, like, stuff that was so challenging. And I'm like, well, I don't need to be challenged by this anymore because I can read all kinds of experimental. We have exposure to so much more kinds of stuff. I kind of, I thought this was amusing. It was like amuse-bouche, like a little... Thing you read very quickly, you're like yeah. ah, but it didn't hold up as a story in any way. In intertext, yeah. we always had the uh, the short must be spectacular rule. We called it, which is short, short, short stories were fine, but every word counts. And you've got to if you're going to write a 500 word story, it needs to blow us away. And I was reminded of that while I was reading this and thought, this is very short. It didn't blow me away, <laughs> but at least it was short. It was <laughs> short. Yeah, at least it was that, short. But it raises of the bar, right? There wasn't much what there was of it. <laughs> yes. The mantis wives don't eat in small portions, but they do yeah. start with the head, so that's nice. They, they eat creatively, though. I'll give them that. Yeah. Scott, what did you think? I thought it was interesting. I don't understand why it was nominated, but yeah. uh, I thought – I'm not sad that I read it. It was. I was glad it was short. <laughs> uh, I thought it was amusing as I read it, but then I thought, why did I read this? Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. So that that takes us to – uh, Ken Liu's uh, story, uh, Mono no Aware, which is uh, from oh. a, an anthology called The Future is yeah. Japanese. And I loved this one. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah, this yeah. is my favorite of the three by far. It, it's a story about a spaceship, a generational spaceship. It's a story about uh, um, the apocalypse, essentially, the end of the world on Earth. And this one character who is a boy as the Earth is being destroyed, essentially, who ends up being the only Japanese person on this American spaceship that's going to another star, and it's going to take hundreds of years to get there. So wonderful. It has, like, everything. It has lying government contractors, Japanese nobility, an an affair, yes, secrets, Mm -hmm. giant, um, huge solar sails, multi-generational spaceships. Yeah, it... it, um, The scene where... um, so as we learn as this goes, um, the, every, the everybody assures the population of Earth that the that the spaceships are going to be ready, and it turns out it was all the contractors like spec, spent it all on on hookers and and gin because as we fear would actually happen because so. the world's going to end anyway. So what the hell? Yeah. And so the spaceships don't work, and so almost everybody dies on Earth. But um, but uh, the, the creator of the the escape, the one real escape spaceship that launches before. You know, chaos consumes the world. Is um, is the ex boyfriend or lover of this kid's mom? And there's the scene. It brought me to tears. The scene where um, 
the mom takes him down to the embassy basically to give her son to this this guy to force her son on this guy and say you're not going to run away with me on your spaceship i want you to save my son's life and then the father comes and and he sees the father and they and there's kind of this nod of recognition and the parents watch as their son goes away and they're never going to see him again it's it's just it's in in not a lot of pages it's really quite touching it's the kind of thing that um, the fellow we talked about that whole episode for, um, and as is my want, I cannot remember his name, uh, Ted Chang, who um, writes these things. It happened. I remembered. It's a miracle. He um, has that. It's a very similar gift of a few strokes. It's like that. He just puts his brush on the paper and every brush tells you a lifetime and you're done and you think, how is it I read a story this how did I read a story that was this short, and yet I know this much about all, everyone involved in it, all the characters in the world? Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. I And it was one of those things where you could see the ending kind of telegraphed. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, despite that, you, you, it makes you think, right? And that's, that, is, that is the goal of a great story is it makes you think, like, well, what if, it were, what if it were me in that situation? Would I be willing to do that? You know, and... I don't know. It's it's. I thought it was well put together. I thought this was a character who, you know, you inhabit just long enough to realize like that everything that they do is realistic to a certain extent, right? You know, despite the fact that it's an outlandish setting, it's there is something true about that character. Scott, I'm coming to you because you won't say it unless I ask. Tell tell me, Scott. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, I think it, it could have used a little more mantis, but other than that, uh, uh, more mantis, was, uh, I get more, it. Huh? more mantis spell. Gonna need more, more. mantis. <laughs> no, I thought this is uh, the story that will uh, get my vote. Yep. Uh, I think too. it was. I liked immersion a lot, but I thought this one was better. <laughs> yeah, um, it was just it was touching. It had uh, you know the the self sacrifice, the family sacrifice. Uh, I loved the the way that the Japanese people reacted. They were, you know, all very calm about this. The world's going to end, but we have to line up in our assigned places and just wait because the government has promised us that these spaceships are going to take us away and they wouldn't lie to us. And then, of course, the prime minister, after several days of people just sitting around, says, oh, by the way, the spaceships don't work. Um, and everyone just went home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I thought, well, yeah, that's that's. Uh, what else do you do? You just go home, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. And it's only what thirty-two pages. So. Yeah, I read it in about twenty minutes. Yeah. I like the the main character's uh, conundrum about trying to teach the all the uh, people on the spaceship about Japan, and he feels this weight that he is the only Japanese person left alive that he needs. And he was just a little kid when he left Japan, but he's got to. You know, he's got this burden of trying to uphold his this entire culture that he barely understands himself. I, I thought it was a really nice, you know, there's just a lot there in very, very few words. There's a whole lot in this story. Trying to teach the kids to play Go. Yeah, I liked, I thought that was a nice touch. This is boring. Yeah, this is stupid. Yeah, I like that. that. It struck me as very like, yeah, this is what kids would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, let's go, go is boring. Let's move on to the novelettes. Um, uh, the Boy Who Cast No Shadow by Thomas Old Hoovelt, who is a, apparently a well-known and award-winning Dutch novelist, and this is the first English-language thing he's ever, at least ever, been recognized for in any way. And a young, young man, too. He's born in 1983, according to his bio wow. here. Wow, so the old is sure. to be taken lightly. 
Um, and this is a this is a strange, uh, really fantasy story about um, a boy who casts no shadow, as in the title. But it, it, you know, much more interesting than that is his friend who is made of glass, who is one of these glass boys, um, and only boys seem to be born with this. It's a strange genetic abnormality that causes them to be made of glass, like not metaphorically or that syndrome where people have, like Samuel Jackson in Unbreakable, have easily broken bones. Literally, he is made of glass. He cries molten glass tears and if you drop him he will shatter into a million pieces of glass because he's made of glass actual glass um this is a strange strange story metaphorically though not actually he's not actually i liked a lot of things about this story uh you know i i i i felt like it almost that the writer um you know maybe he did it on purpose but it felt to me almost as if we were sort of supposed to we were going to tell the story of the boy who cast no shadow. And in the end, the glass kid was more interesting. So it was really about the boy who cast no shadow, enabling the glass kid to see the world and, and have a good sort of end to his life. And that the fact that this boy cast no shadow kind of wasn't relevant at all. (laughs) He was there. He was, he enabled the actual story. Yeah. And it's nice. They, they, it's, it's a good title, The Boy Who Cast No Shadow. Yeah, and these, these are two, you know, essentially, um, they're, they're outsiders. They're, they're, they're unlike their friends. Um, the Boy Who Cast No Shadow is also gay, so he's doubly an outsider and struggles with that. And then, then his friend is uh, overprotected by his parents because, you know, he's made of glass. I'm sure <laughs> there are lots, of, there are lots of, of, of parallels you can draw what this story is really about. Um, it is, he's actually made of glass. It's not just the parents are being overprotective. Um, but the, you know, so I, I had moments where I was like, well, you know, why does he cast no shadow? What does that mean? It probably does mean something, but there are also moments in here that are really beautiful about these friends and about, um, finding friendship in an unexpected place and, and, uh, and doing something for a friend and, and uh, pri- trying Going to bring an adventure. Yeah. And bring some meaning to somebody's life who hasn't, who's been isolated. And, and I appreciated that even though I'm not sure it worked a hundred percent for me. There's a sweet thing too, which is that like, he really is made of glass. Like it's not a, I mean, it's a metaphor, I'm sure. Right. There is some aspect, but, but he goes through all these things. He gets little cracks and they get, you know, they have to go to auto shop to get yeah, it fixed. They go to the, the auto glass guy. <laughs> I thought this great line is they're in um, Portugal. Yeah. Cause I forget them reading this and I'm like, how'd they get to Portugal? I'm like, oh, oh, Dutch writer. They're in Europe. Of course. Yeah. They took a train. Uh, right. So he says, is this this bit where he says <clears throat> they're wandering the streets and he says an old glass blower who was smoking at fr- smoking in front of his shop, fell to his knees and cried at the sight of Splinter, the nickname for this kid. I smiled. That's what the reunion of Geppetto and Pinocchio must have been like. <laughs> I just, you're like, yep. it was this, you could see the street and the light and the whole thing. You're like, oh, that's beautiful. Well, and there, and there's the moment on the, the last night, it leads to Splinter getting a, a crack in his back. Uh, the, it's like the first human contact he ever has is that, is that, is that, uh, the the um, boy who cast no shadow lays down and he lays on top of him and it's like the first physical contact that this person has ever had um and it's it's very sweet and then there's also this funny moment where uh the boy who cast no shadow uh, he he wakes up and um and the the glass boy has gone to town and gotten patched up enough that he can and and he comes back with a glass boat 
<laughs> to go out in the in the sea. It's it's very strange and very funny. From the glass blower, right? Yeah, it's a it's lovely. That's the thing is like it may not totally hold together, but God, it's just a lovely. It's it's new too. I don't think I've read anything with these elements in it like it before. And there's something wonderful about yeah. it, something unexpected and new. Yes. 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 Oh. All right. <laughs> um, interesting. Interesting story. Fade to White by Cat uh, Valente, who has been nominated for many things. And I, 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 again, like I said about Kids Johnson, things that I've liked very much um, and things that I haven't. She wrote a, um, a novella, I think, last year that I loved. And then she wrote a novel a few years ago that got nominated that I really didn't like. So I'm all over the place with her. This is an interesting story. It's basically a uh, a tale of... Um, an alternate post-World War II, Cold War, McCarthy era where McCarthy is the president. The United States has lost World War III and large chunks of the country are radioactive glass, speaking of glass. And it's a story of uh, the propaganda and it's also of a boy and a girl who are part of the breeding program that's going on because some people are some men are soldiers and they get sent out to the radioactive waste but others are husbands and they move from wife to wife one every one every week for a four-week cycle and have as many kids as they like and there's genetic testing and and there's all the there's some memos that we see of the propaganda campaign um and i like i liked this i liked it and the fact that it didn't go uh, it, the plot didn't go in the direction that I expected as we see this boy and this girl prepare for this. And it took a little while for me to figure out exactly what, what was going on, but I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, I really liked this one myself. I liked the the propaganda in, you know, kind of interspersed with the, the narrative of the story and kind of fleshing out the world. Because uh, I could just see these advertisements that they were talking about kind of in like the 50s, uh, Oh yeah, uh, motif which you know uh, McCarthy has frozen the country in. One imagines this kind of idealized 1950s era, perfect nuclear family. Right. Even though they, the husband goes though, from place to place, right? Exactly. It's but still, still just being the perfect husband. nuclear family. Very nuclear. And most of the country is radioactive glass, but everything is fine. <clears throat> Don't worry. <laughs> It'll all be okay. I like I like that the husband's job. You basically you get up and you go as if into an office and you hang around a men's club all day, being comfortable. Because it's hard being a husband. Because you're protecting your precious bodily fluids, and you go home and and like that, that's your job. Yeah. Yeah, this was fun. It was Kinda it was more Americans. And the the trials of the girl who's trying to make sure that she's allowed to have children because of her genetic testing, and then there's the the boy who's got a you know a a, a strapping older brother and he's wondering if he's ever going to uh to be chosen to be a husband and his interaction with his father when he comes home and the girl's got a the girl's got a black boyfriend and she's secretly part japanese but it can pass i guess her mom is half japanese and it's it's this whole yeah there's a lot in there again you can pack a lot in one of these relatively short stories and it was a very interesting uh evocative uh setting this this 50s world except with nuclear fallout raging everywhere yes yeah i liked it okay there's the girl thing who went out for sushi by pat cadigan Eh. which is a story of a beauty queen (laughs) from earth who goes into space and decides she wants to have surgery to turn herself into a fish as you do as so often happens it's true Eh. It's a story as old as time. 
thought it was, I thought it was very thinly told and seemed more to be an excuse for this guy to kind of walk through all of his various ideas or lady. I don't know if Pat is man or woman. It's Pat. Uh, and just to have an opportunity to kind of run through um, pet ideas about how space exploration might be fostered by having body modifications that work better for doing that kind of thing. I thought it was very thin, very thin. She's a she's a uh, a, a woman writer, by the way. Uh, so now you've got your you've got your uh, uh, many more many women nominated this year. It's great to Ooh, see. That's good. Um, I agree with you though. This was not didn't feel that strong to me. There's some interesting ideas here. I think that there's it's a lot of it's predicated on this pun of going out for sushi being to want to be surgically altered into being a fish, a space fish. Um uh, yeah, and then and the only thing about it that sort of had struck me about it was the idea that um maybe if you saw this on on a, in a movie or something, the idea that this is the fish don't think she's anything interesting, but she's a beauty queen. So imagining there's this uh, beautiful woman in outer space who decides that she wants to be turned into a chambered nautilus and <laughs> that all of the Earth media we see briefly uh, is aghast that this would happen. But the idea is she's out there to become sort of a native of space and that means shedding her old human body and becoming a chambered nautilus. And then they go off to you know have other adventures in, on Jupiter – um, I could see Sean Young yeah. doing that, but uh, but yeah, Scott, what did you think? Oh, well, I think I think she did some clever things with language in it, but overall, it didn't do much yeah. for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was a clever idea, but all the lawyers I, are chambered nautiluses, by the way. Yes, that was funny. They keep books, yeah. keep books in their shelves. Not all the chambered nautiluses are lawyers, but all the no. lawyers are chambered nautiluses. Exactly. If, you're, if you're looking for a lawyer. Yeah. You're going to get a chambered novelist. Yeah, please. Otherwise. Yeah, I thought it had some good stuff in it, but it yeah. didn't left me cold. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Cold as space. Okay, well, there, there, are two more in this cate- there are two more in this category, and they're both by Seanan McGuire, who is a, uh, yes. a an urban fantasy writer who occasionally writes under a pen name. Um, <gasps> Insult Sea Tears, which is a, which is a uh, sort of a selkie story, and Rat Catcher, which involves cats. That are yes. intelligent cat, yeah, cats. I, I honestly, I, I tried to get through these and I couldn't. <laughs> well, I thought to myself, do I just not like Mira Grant, and maybe I will like her other stuff? And I didn't think it was as bad. As no, no, oh the, no, the the, wait, the zombie wait. stuff. Wait, this is Mira Grant. Yes, Shannon McGuire is, is also Mira Grant. I did Mira not Grant. know that. This is the real the real Mira Grant is Shannon McGuire. Ah, so in Sea Salt Tears, I thought was extremely beautiful, and I've read multiple times. Ratcatcher, I found tedious and yeah. incredibly overformal, and totally almost plotless and uninteresting. All right. Well, there you go. Strong in Sea Salt Tears, I got further in, and it was far enough to, to, like Scott said, to to say this is much better written than the Mirror Grant novels. Oh, I thought Definitely. it was so. I thought it was sweet. I thought it was well told. I thought it had a nice twist. I thought it was a. It did the retelling of a long, you know, held story in uh, modern times. I don't know. I thought it had a lot of wonderful. I think I've read it like I say three times now, and it's no zombies. I love it. No zombies. No, but there are people who you know, eternal young and and curses that are apparently onto the Xth generation. I like a, I like a good sea witch. I kind of saw that coming. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't really like this. Oh. I mean, I liked it. I, I didn't hate it, which is a step up. Yep. Uh, but 
I didn't I didn't like it. I I was confused once again why it was nominated, and even more confused by why Ratcatcher was nominated. I that, I'll agree that. with you there. That was just uninteresting. But hmm. that's funny. I thought you guys. I was actually expecting you all would have that. I wonder if knowing that it was Mira Grant, had I known that, I would have read them both with a much more jaundiced eye. Having having just gotten through Blackout, I really didn't want to read more, honestly. And and. And yeah. Ratcatcher really put me off, and I, I so I, I abandoned Sea Salt Tears. I'll actually go back to it now that Glenn has said nice things about it. I'll, I'll go back. I, I did. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I did verify that it was certainly. Um, I the writing didn't bother me in the way that the novel the novel did, but I was kind of, I, I was kind of tapped out. So I'll take <laughs> your word for it, that. and maybe I'll go back. But now I'm happy that I just don't. You know, don't categorically hate everything she's done. Yeah, so that, that's good. That makes me feel good. <laughs> that's good. Well, I, I would love to get to a place with her that I got to with, um, so, like I said, with Cat Valente, and and with Kids Johnson, where I can say, huh, I didn't like that. I liked that. So you know, I I I can like. I'm capable of liking things you do, and some of them I don't like. Um, but uh, I haven't gotten there yet with her. But that's okay. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's, it's, it is. Okay, so best novella. I only read one of these, which was The Stars Do Not Lie by Jay Lake. Did you guys read uh, any of the others? I read them all. Oh, Scott. <laughs> so stars, we'll start with Stars Do Not Lie, um, which, which is um, – it's like alien steampunk kind of. It is. Uh, and I kind of liked it because, again, it answers our important question, which is, are there Zeppelins? Uh, and the answer is yes. Yes, Zeppelins on an alien world colonized by humans thousands of years ago uh, with a, an interesting social culture of there are pirate sort of pirate people. And then there's a church and they're kind of keeping these secrets of of humanity actually not being from this planet. But scientists figure it out and they're suppressed and I, I enjoyed all of that, and then at the end they like go to an island where there's a volcano <laughs> and everything yeah. blows up and nothing is resolved and it's over. It is. It does end quite abruptly. Yeah, which is. I mean, you know, you only have so much in a novella. There was so. Uh, I know, but there's so much weight put on the the envoy from the church, and they. I know he he kind of built up to some kind of major revelation, and then they, they find this spaceship, right? But in the volcano, yeah, it's like ah, uh, nothing happens. Well, and the other other ship is coming, and there's something big is going to happen, and we never, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like I wanted. This is like the Scalzi thing, right? Where the you, you get the serial things, and I want the next episode of this, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't, especially since Jay Lake is uh, in, Jay is Lake terminally is, ill is, and is not going to. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, he's not writing anymore. So, so I don't think we'll get it. But that's the. It is sad, and he's a very talented writer. Yeah. Um, I liked I like the story. I just I don't, it just ended abruptly and it did. Yeah. Yeah, I but 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 you know, as a steampunk, I I'm there's a lot of the steampunk stuff that I really like. Um and this was another example. Again, there are zeppelins. How can you not like a story with a zeppelin <laughs> in it? It's true. And it has a whole religious overtones which I always find interesting. Yeah. I found the uh I liked all of the uh kind of titles that uh people have. Uh it makes it I just found that humorous. Like the first quote is, is uh, you know, more he introduces the main character and then he follows it with like 18 different degrees. And he's like, he's a fourth degree uh, 
priest, and he's also high level in the the government thing. That's and, a very funny moment where um, the guy who's in the the pirate whatever guild, um, uh, in order to give him classified access, basically. He says, "Are you, you know what level are you?" And he says, "I'm fourth level." And he says, "Well, congratulations, you're thirty second level now." <laughs> yes. What? I'm like, what? I thought you were going to execute me. <laughs> yeah, but no, I need to tell you the secrets. So right, exactly. I thought that was fun. And then the, there was that moment where like you can't the the priest they're like the priest can't be here, and he's like, "Well, I'm also a thirty second yeah. level one of you, so I can I know everything. Just get out of my way." <laughs> That's right. Let me in to your to your place, your little clubhouse. Exactly. Okay, so what did you think of these others? Uh, so there is The Emperor's Soul by uh, Brandon Sanderson. Uh, and if anyone has read any of Brandon Sanderson's stuff, uh, they will have read this, basically. He is really, really interested in building magic systems. Uh, and so he, basically this novella is uh, an excuse for him to build uh, a magic system based on seals. So you, you place a seal on an object. Art, and you art, can... art, 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 art. <laughs> that was worth unmuting yourself for. Uh, and uh, it, it rewrites the history of the object. So you have like a, a vase that's very plain, uh, but a seal uh, master can put a seal on it that will then turn it into, change the history of that item and make it into, like, you know, a Ming vase or something like that. And he's the guy who's finishing the Wheel of Time, right? Or finished the he's, Wheel of Time. He's the guy that did finish yeah. the Wheel of Time. And he, he did the Mistborn uh, series. Right. Uh, so basically the story is uh, the Seal Master person is uh, caught because they, they she counterfeits paintings. Uh, and she tries to steal the emperor's an emperor's painting, uh, but the emperor uh, has a fatal accident. Uh, and so he his he's brain dead. So she is uh, taken into secrecy, and she has to basically create recreate the emperor's soul uh, using a seal, and basically make a counterfeit version of the emperor. Huh. Uh, and so the the story is set up that she's in this prison basically, and uh, it's a back and forth where she explains basically how all this magic works. Um, it was interesting, but it was mostly a treatise on this magic system. Uh, so if you're not interested in a deep dive into how this magic system works, you might want to skip uh, The Emperor's Soul. All right. Uh, Mira Grant, nominated for... It's uh, a prequel to Feed. It is a prequel to Feed, uh, set in, uh, you know, speaking of pandering to geeks, it's set in Comic-Con. Uh, it's called San Diego 2014. Uh, and there's an outbreak of uh, the Keller, whatever... Kellis Amberley. Their Kellis Amberley virus in Comic Con, and this follows the story of uh, like a Coast Guard guy who's also a big uh, Firefly fan, and he they have a booth at Comic Con and they sell stuff and they sing Firefly songs and zombies are there. So it's a combination of feed and fan fiction. Exactly. Excellent. Uh, and uh, it tells the story of this ragtag group of people trying to get out of uh, the San Diego Convention Center. So how was um, it? It was not good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I, I, I did not enjoy it, um, but I can see why people might. Sure. A crowd pleaser. So, there you go. Uh, On a Red Station Drifting by Annalette de Bodard, I guess is how you say her name. She was the woman who wrote Immersion. Yeah. Uh, this is the the... the novella that will get my vote I believe because um, it is just I think it's a beautiful 
beautiful story. Uh, it's basically set in kind of uh, it's set on a space station within a, a, a planet, multi-planet spanning empire that's based uh, on uh, basically it's uh, you know instead of a European centric you know uh, empire, it's a Vietnamese. Uh, empire and so the the empire is being attacked by rebels and so numerous planets are falling and the emperor is not doing anything he's just retreating and uh, kind of fortifying his holdings the main character is a refugee who ends up on this uh, space station um, that is uh, populated by her re- like distant relatives uh, and it has a uh, artificial intelligence which is called a mind that is one of her ancestors and the main character also has memory implants of her ance- a couple of her ancestors' uh, memories and uh, personas. Uh, and the mind that controls the space station is slowly going insane, and nobody can understand why. Uh, and all of the uh, kind of most um, able characters have been drafted by the Emperor, so they're no longer on the station, and they're presumed dead, so it's kind of like the B-team is running the station uh, and it, it's just a great I really enjoyed it um, kudos to her and she will get my vote uh, and then the th- final one is after the fall before the fall during the fall is yes right? yes winter is so coming is, winter yeah. is coming hey uh, I started is... reading that one I just didn't finish it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty good it's uh, as the title might suggest it is a tale of pre, post, and during apocalypse uh, where these strange aliens come and wipe out Earth. But as they're wiping out Earth, they save some people and put them in uh, a shell, which is basically an artificial uh, a structure that is on Earth, but all of Earth is ravaged, and they are safe and sound in this structure. Uh, and basically it's a zoo, and I, the people who are in there have been teleported there, and they don't, they've never seen any of these aliens they don't really understand why they're trapped together, um, but they start. They try to, you know, continue the human race, but it fails for a variety of reasons: radiation damage and all that kind of stuff. So eventually, the aliens uh, give them a time machine that only that works sporadically, so that they have start sending back people to before the apocalypse, where they abduct children and bring them back to after the apocalypse. Wow! So that they can repopulate the planet. Um, it's very interesting. I, I tried to read some of that. I got so far, and then I just, I just could not make it anymore. I'm sorry. It just was spindly headed time machine traveling child abduction. Uh, there, there's time, time, child abduction, and the FBI is involved, and a math professor who gets pregnant. And... So the aliens destroyed the planet, but then they want to save the human race for their zoo. Yeah, they put them in a zoo. Um, unclear why and the the aliens are called teslies um for some reason okay um it's 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 an odd novella but i i thought it was uh i thought i could see why it was nominated i think it's it's worth a nomination but i don't think it should win so you're gonna go with on a red station drifting i am and not san diego 2014 definitely not san diego 2014 Fair enough. And that will be uh, no award. <laughs> oh, dear. Ouch. Ouch. That's a bad sign. All right. And just to remind everybody uh, out there who wants to read along with us, our next book club will be about the Hugo nominees. We've covered some of them before. Um, Red Shirts, a novel with three codas by John Scalzi. Hey, he's back. What? 
that was nominated. We did a whole episode about it uh, called Insular Nerdosphere. Let but, us never speak of it again. But uh, but we'll we'll touch on it briefly in that episode. Captain Vorpatril's Alliance, which is uh, a Vorkosigan novel, and we did a whole episode about that too. And that was actually a, a, a really good Vorkosigan novel, the best one in 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 uh, many years. Um, so those we've covered before, but we will also be talking about Blackout by Mira Grant. Get ready. Um, I read it. I read it too. 2312 by Kim Stanley Robinson. That should be very interesting. Uh, 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 Glenn is reading it now. And, oh, sorry. Just involuntary. Action. And Throne of the Crescent Moon by Saladin Ahmed, which uh, I also read. And I'm not going to give it away what I think about these books, but uh, those are the books that are nominated, and we will be covering them next time. So... They're best enjoyed via audible.com. Yes, that's right. Thanks you. Thank you to Audible. Uh, I'm not sure if, if uh, all of those books, I think all of those books are um, actually available on Audible. So uh, thanks to my sponsor, of course, audible.com. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable. Yay. Uh, and thanks to my panelists. They're, they did a good job. They read the books and some of the stories. And Scott read everything because Scott is the best. Scott McNulty, thank you. I have a lot of free time apparently, so I just I just you just keep reading need something to fill the void. All you do is is walk and read. It's true. I I was walking around my kitchen table, my living room table, reading earlier today. Wow, <laughs> see that's great when you can can combine them. It's true. Two of my favorite activities: walking and reading. That's right. Also canning. No wait. Well, different, different. Caning. Yeah, same same place. He likes caning. Yes, leave leave That's the true. canning to your wife. Glenn Fleischman, thanks for coming back on the podcast. We'll we'll have you back for the Hugo episode too. That's great. Well, you know, I was recording another podcast while we recorded this one. Oh, nice. My quota up. But well, that's good. It's great to be back. And yes. I look forward to being back again. Nice to have you. And Dan Morin, you are on every podcast. Thank you for being on this one too. <laughs> great, great, great to be here. I'm sure it'll be a long, long time before I appear on another podcast. Yeah. Exactly. It could be Long time. days. Hours. Or hours. Right. And that's not like a Star Trek II Wrath of Khan code, right? <laughs> if days were for hours, you could total the number of podcasts I've been on. <laughs> I'm confused now. All right. Uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. Um, uh, you can always go to our uh, Goodreads group to see what we're going to read next or just monitor the incomparable uh, Twitter feed at the incomparable. But we are on Goodreads, and we try to keep that updated. Sometimes we fail. But we're on there, and we will listen to your discussion posts and things, too. So go to Goodreads and search for the Incomparable Book Club if you'd like to join us there. Until next time, I am your host, Jason Snell, signing off. Thanks for listening. Nobody was in the chat yeah, room. It was empty as hell. Nobody comes out for the book. Club. No. Bastards. <laughs>